Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The Hamilton Police Recruiting Officer joins the show to talk about finding new cops. Love to swim? Well, the city of Hamilton has some good news for you. Lots of reaction to the federal budget, and a Hamilton woman is reunited with her wedding dress. The full story coming up next year on the GMH podcast. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Not so fun trying to recruit an employee these days, no matter what the industry, no matter what the job is, it's tough sledding for recruiters. And it's certainly being felt within Hamilton Police, because as we know, over the last couple of years, many industries, many companies looking for new workers, Hamilton Police in this mix as well. So what is going on? Sergeant Ryan Smutnicki is with Hamilton Police and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Sergeant Smutnicki, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm good. So what is happening with Hamilton Police over the last couple of years? How, how tough has it been? It's, it's been challenging. Um, I, I, when I first came into recruiting, uh, we were dealing with COVID. So um, obviously in-person information sessions weren't an option for us, which was uh, very challenging for us. Um, over the past year, we've uh, been able to get into schools, um, host over uh, 40 community events, <clears throat> sorry, attend over 40 community events, host over uh, 15 prep mentoring and uh, information information sessions uh, within our service. And um, we've seen a uh, an increase of, uh, of interest, I can say just over the past year, um, just by simply being able to do the uh, in-person, face-to-face uh, information sessions. Um, just like any other um, nationwide employment crisis right now, restaurants, Healthcare, finding nurses, daycares. Um, it is challenging. Uh, just finding uh, applicants. Has has this challenge impacted policing in terms of, of burnout? In terms of staffing levels, are we in an okay situation? No, we we continue to um, have no issues hiring and uh, continuing to hire um, each each intake. So three. Three intakes a year or uh, per year at OPC, we're allotted anywhere from 15 to 25 spots to send um, new hires down to Elmer, the Ontario Police College. We've been able to fill those um, fill those slots with, um, I'd say, uh, you know, lots of talent. Um, we haven't had any any issues over the past two years filling those spots. It certainly has been a challenge, um, not only during the pandemic, but, you know, since the George Floyd incident, uh, defund police. You know, there's a lot of negativity that has been associated with policing in terms of dealing with, you know, violent criminals. Is it much harder today to get someone in a uniform than it was even two, three, four, five years ago? I wouldn't say it's more challenging. Policing is a profession if if it's something that you want to do, um, you're going to put your application in. And uh, we're going to do the best we can to continue to find qualified applicants. Um, we continue to do outreach uh, with our uh, police foundations, programs, Niagara, Mohawk, uh, Guelph Humber. <clears throat> and again, it's, uh, it's a profession that um, there needs to be interest in uh, from the applicant from the start. 
Ryan Smutnicki is sergeant with Hamilton Police in charge of uh, recruiting efforts at uh, the Hamilton Police Service. Uh, we've seen uh, uh, really a, a, a dearth of applicants over the last number of years because of the pandemic, because of, well, every industry's in the same boat. Are you getting the same kind of questions today that you did a few years ago in terms of, you know, what is it like being an officer? What, what are some of the benefits? Are, the, are those same kind of questions being asked? Are you, are you hearing some different things here and there? Well, Rick, I think you can agree with me. It's a very dangerous job. And, um, you know, the recent uh, on-duty deaths uh, with eight police officers uh, within our country, I'm sure has uh, created some doubts for those who once thought about applying um, and and now are maybe second-guessing that career. Um, so I think uh, just the scrutiny among police officers right now uh, alone um, are, are creating a bit of a barrier and a challenge uh, for people just to put their application in. When is your next uh, recruiting event? So we have um, some prep mentoring sessions coming up. Uh, we will be at Mohawk College in May and June. Uh, those will be open uh, to the public. Uh, anyone who's interested in uh, seeing the, uh, the physical component, the prep test, um, and the shuttle run, uh, we're always looking to mentor those who, who have never done it before and aren't familiar with it and um, offer you the, uh, the advice and, and provide you with the techniques that you need in, in order to uh, succeed with the physical component. Well, certainly policing is a very uh, dangerous job, but also a rewarding one. And I'm sure many uh, recruits and uh, colleagues of yours will, uh, will echo those uh, sentiments. Sergeant Smundicki, we'll have to leave it there. Appreciate your time this morning. Good luck recruiting the next batch of Hamilton police officers. Thank you very much, Rick. Thanks for having me. And a Sergeant Ryan Smoknicki with Hamilton Police in charge of recruiting at the police service. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Oh, we can't wait for summer. Can't come soon enough. I mean, I'll be feeling good this morning, but come this afternoon with rain and maybe some flurries, temperature starting to fall. Ah, we'll be hoping for those summer months. It'll, it'll be here soon enough, we know. But what might not be here, at least not enough of them, are lifeguards in this city. And and really, Hamilton is not alone in this issue. But there is a shortage of lifeguards out there. A lot of places having a hard time finding these individuals for the upcoming summer season. So what is going on in Hamilton? Let's bring in our first guest of the program, Laura Kerr, the Manager of Program Development and Recreation with the City of Hamilton, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Laura, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm good. Uh, Give us uh, some details of the current situation. Where do we find ourselves in regards to lifeguards in this city? Absolutely. And, and thank you for looking into this. We're already gearing up for summer, too. So we're just as excited as, uh, as you and the community is. Uh, our lifeguarding situation prior to the pandemic, uh, there was a provincial shortage of lifeguards. And so the pandemic, pandemic definitely did not assist with, you know, the pause on training, uh, recruitment efforts and, and services that were obviously open and closed. So right now, our staffing resources are finally catching up to pre-pandemic levels, uh, if not exceeding, which we're very excited for. Uh, it's been about two years of recovery and recruitment efforts, and so the teams have worked very hard to build awareness around lifeguarding, run an unprecedented amount of lifeguard training programs, and we've continued with recruitments. And so we just ran our last recruitment this past January. It was highly successful, uh, and we do anticipate that we'll be able to deliver on all our summer services that we had planned, which so, is great news. Yeah, so we have closed the gap here. 
we have, we've closed the gap. Now we still experience, you know, staff illness and call-ins, but we're in a much better position than we have been for, for a number of summers now. So what worked? How was, how were you and how was the city able to attract these lifeguards and, and close this gap relatively quickly? Well, swimming is an important life skill, and we do have a passionate community who, who uses our pools. We have a number of pools, and so really it's keeping youth and teenagers and young adults engaged in swimming and being active. Uh, and then from there, we really built awareness around lifeguarding, around lifeguarding as a part-time job. Our entry-level lifeguards were one of the highest paid uh, in the province. We pay starting $26 an hour. Uh, so it's a great part-time job for uh, those paying for university or those looking for a second job or even those in retirement. And so we've really been building awareness around lifeguarding as a job opportunity and training programs of how you can train to be a lifeguard because it is quite uh, a lengthy process to become a lifeguard. Was there ever a time, um, either recently or over the last number of years, where the city was not able to offer all the programs it wanted to because you guys needed more lifeguards? Absolutely. Um, our, our swim lessons experience high demand uh, still. Now, we are offering the same amount of lessons that we would have normally offered pre-pandemic, but as you can imagine, after a couple years of closures, uh, the demand, especially for, for young children who may have missed two, three years of swim lessons, the demand for introductory swim lessons is, is quite high. Uh, so we would love to, to offer more swim lessons. As I mentioned, we are offering the amount of programs we, we normally do, which is nearly uh, 1,200 uh, swimming lessons a week. Uh, however, the community is, is obviously looking for more. It's one of our most popular programs. Absolutely. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Laura Kerr, Manager of Program Development in the Recreation Department at the City of Hamilton. We're talking about lifeguards and how the city has done a wonderful job in attracting more and more of them to continue to offer the programming that it has in the past. If someone wants to become a lifeguard, how do they go about doing so? Uh, they can go to uh, www.hamilton.ca slash recreation. On there, they can look for leadership programs and see the lifeguard programs. Uh, they can also talk to any of our staff at our facilities. Uh, we're happy to talk about lifeguarding and the training program and the progression uh, that goes into that. This summer, we opened an additional eight outdoor pools plus wading pools uh, with an additional 600 hours of programming a week. So lots of opportunities for swimming as well for those looking for, uh, for programming. How many lifeguards do you have? Uh, we carry uh, about 250 uh, part-time lifeguards, plus our full-time aquatic teams. Wow, that is that is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's, it's quite a big workforce. We're super proud of all of our lifeguards and all the services they deliver. Obviously, quality number one or, or priority number one is you, you have to know how to swim. But beyond that, what makes a good lifeguard? You know, a good lifeguard is someone who likes and enjoys working with the public. Our lifeguards are also our swim instructors, so our enthusiastic and good role models. Uh, good lifeguards are those that are just leaders within our community. Um, and, and I think, you know, when you walk into our pools, you can tell that our staff teams are passionate about delivering those aquatic programs. They're passionate about uh, swimming. Obviously, this has been a lifelong passion for a lot of lifeguards to continue to pursue this. Well, sounds like Hamilton is on solid footing when it comes to uh, lifeguards in the community. Laura, appreciate your time this morning. Perfect. Thank you so much, Rick. Laura Kerr, Manager of Program Development Recreation with the City of Hamilton and uh, other other communities not as lucky as what we've just heard here in Hamilton. There was uh, certainly a shortage post-pandemic as people were trying to find out, hey, what the heck am I going to do? What, what's going on with this, you know, this virus that's going around? But uh, fast forward just over three years and the City of Hamilton seems to be back 
on uh, on track to fulfill all its programming when it comes to the summer swimming season. That is pretty cool. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. On the one hand, you're helping people who do need the cash, but as soon as governments actually uh, pour more cash into the economy, well, guess what happens to inflation? It, it becomes a worse problem. We talked to him last hour, food professor Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, saying that this... Uh, grocery rebates, the GST top-up, could in fact lead to higher food inflation. What are our thoughts about that? Well, I'm giving that a thumbs down. Will this fiscal roadmap also bring down inflation overall in this country? Let's ask a guy who's got his finger on the pulse of what is happening. Marvin Ryder, professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University, and joins us here on Good Morning Hamilton. Marvin, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great. Glad to be with you. What are your overall thoughts on this budget? Well, if if you don't mind, I'm actually mostly shocked at the context of the budget. Let me give you two quick examples. Yesterday at about noon, five hours before the budget was delivered, there was a little press release that said that in the first 10 months of the current fiscal year, the government deficit was only $6.6 billion. So I had assumed that she was going to get up and announce that Rather than being $34 billion for the current year, it had fallen to something like maybe $20 billion for the current year or $25 billion for the current year. Instead, she stood up and said for the current year that ends on Friday, it's $44 billion. And I will go, whoa, how's that happen? So clearly, in the last two months, February and March, a lot of cash has been shoveled out. And I'm guessing most of that has been the health transfers to the provinces. Then she looked ahead and she said in the next year, rather than coming down uh, further, the deficit's going to stay at around $40 billion. To me, that's disappointing. I I thought we would actually, she talked about fiscal prudence and fiscal austerity. I wasn't expecting to see the deficits go back up. Now, again, in fairness to her, the other bit of context is that uh, she predicted that for the current year that's coming up, the next 12 months, starting April 1st, the Canadian economy is only going to grow 0.3%, 0.3%, less than 1%. Well, wait a minute. That clearly means that our federal government is expecting a recession, not necessarily a deep recession, but an absolute recession. And up until this very moment, we had seen no signs of a recession. We've seen lots of people predicting it, but now you've got the federal government saying that we've uh, factored that into our budget. So I'm, I'm shocked on both of those fronts. I thought maybe we would get through this year without a recession, and I certainly thought the deficits would be less. Now, are they spending the money correctly? Most of the deficit increase that you're seeing is going to health care, and I think most people felt health care, whether it is primary care through our hospitals and doctors or long-term care, tertiary care, it all was going to need more support. And so the government has stepped up there. There is some money to make sure that we're not going to get left behind in the green revolution and that we're also helping to subsidize businesses that are carbon zero. And I think that's, that makes perfect sense to do. And that'll be phased in over years to give the NDP something. They're going to expand dental care to poor Canadians, seniors over the next five years. Again, that's not the world's worst thing. Um, but, uh, and in terms of rebate, yes, I know they're calling it a grocery rebate, but really it's just an extension of the GST rebate. It's targeted money that's going to go to the poorest Canadians. Uh, Again, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I don't think it's going to be that inflationary. 
in essence, Christia Freeland is leaving the battle on inflation to the Bank of Canada. A couple more minutes with Marvin Ryder, professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University as we look at uh, the latest federal budget. Uh, Christopher Freeland, time and time again in interviews post-budget, was referencing that Canada has the lowest debt-to-GDP among G7 countries, which is true, but what is also true is there's no path to a balanced budget. What is the impact for you and I, for businesses, for the economy in general, that that, that path is not clear? Correct. Uh, Last October, when she did the fiscal update on the current year, she actually suggested that we could be back to a balanced budget by uh, by 2026, 2027. So I could see it in the future. It wasn't a a guarantee, but at least I could see it. And that gives everyone confidence that we're moving in the right direction. Because of these new uh, spending that they're going to be doing, uh, she's just eliminated that. And that, that, again, worries you. Do you not have a vision for the future? Do you not have a clear sense of how we're going to get back? I'm, again, all in favor of spending some money on health care, spending money on dental care, pharma care, what have you. But at the same time, we, we shouldn't go too far. Now, are, is our debt to GDP terrible? No, it's around 40 percent. Uh, there are certainly many of the countries in the G7 that wish their level was that low. So we're OK. She's not blowing the, uh, the doors off the barn, so to speak. But I'm just not sure we have to spend all of that. It may also be an old finance minister's trick, meaning you sort of overpromise and then you underdeliver and you look like a hero. If the numbers come in better, we think, ah, you've done a brilliant job of management. So I, I'm not sure if that's at play here, but I am disappointed. All right. So we'll uh, mark you down for a thumbs down, Marvin. <laughs> yeah, you can do that. <laughs> Appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be with you. Marvin Ryder, professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University, officially on the record of giving this budget a thumbs down. And, you know, I'm, I'm there with him. I thought, you know, there's some some good things about this. Spending on healthcare is never a bad thing. And increasing healthcare spending is what we all wanted to happen when all the premiers were, you know, saying, hey, we need more healthcare spending. And, well, the federal government said, all right, we can give you a little bit more. And now we're seeing that in the budget. So we shouldn't be angry about that. But certainly the debt level in this country is quite concerning. And, and what, what is the roadmap? What is the path to get back to balance? That is a, a topic and a question on the minds of many. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. All that they have delivered is more debt, more inflation, and more costs on the, on the backs of the hard work and beleaguered people of this country, and that is why conservatives are proud to announce we will be voting against yeah. this inflationary stand. To no one's surprise, conservative leader Pierre Poiliev announcing that his party is not going to support yesterday's budget, which included a one-time grocery rebate for low-income Canadians. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton here on 900 CHML. This this grocery rebate, or a, a top-up of, of the GST rebate, is going to provide... Uh, individuals, again, on low incomes, $234. A senior would receive $225, and a couple with two children can get up to $467. Now, while that's nice, it's really not going to go a long way considering where grocery prices are right now. Dr. Sylvain Charlebois is a professor of food distribution and policy and the director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. The food professor joins us here on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Charlebois, good morning. How are you? 
Good morning. Well, StatsCan's latest inflation report shows that food prices rose more than 11% year over year in January, nearly double the rate of inflation, which was 5.9% in January. It's now down to 5.2%. Where are we headed with food prices? Are we going to continue to see escalation or are we going to get some kind of relief going forward? Well, so February numbers came out last week. Uh, the food inflation rate was at 9.7%, so below 10%. Uh, that was a drop of 0.7%, the largest drop since April 2021. So uh, we are seeing some good signs. Uh, things are, 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 I guess, are not as rocky as they used to. Uh, we're still not out of the woods yet, but we are expecting a smoother ride uh, by the time we, we finish spring and, and go into the summer. So, but it, uh, it's still, I mean, some categories are still going to be problematic, like vegetables um, because of California. And uh, we're also expecting higher beef prices probably mid-summer as well. So if you're a, if you're a beef lover out there, I, I, I'd go back to the grocery store and buy some beef right now because it's it's. I, I actually think it's uh, pretty certain that the beef prices will be higher. You mentioned a smoother ride. How so? Is is anything going to change between now and then, or has anything changed leading up to this period? Uh, well, I, I mean, every now and then there are things that do uh, impact food prices depending of the category of course we were right now i would say that the major uh, macroeconomic factors like supply chains ukraine uh, those factors are not as influential as they used to about 6 months ago so that's that's good news uh, but still the food inflation rate is a problem worldwide i mean if you look at canada versus other countries we still have one of the lowest food inflation rates in the world in a g7 only the united states and japan have a lower food inflation rate so we're we're doing okay but people in canada couldn't care less about what goes on in <laughs> germany they're still hit with higher food prices at the grocery store so if the ukraine situation and the supply chain situation have let's just say improved what are some of those other factors that are still contributing to these higher prices well i think it's uh I'll be honest with you. Yesterday's budget wasn't really helpful because uh, you're seeing many governments, including our own, uh, just uh, basically giving money away to citizens uh, who need some money. But when you do that, uh, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, on the one hand, you're helping people who do need the cash, but as soon as governments actually uh, pour more cash into the economy, well, guess what happens to inflation? It becomes a worse problem. Mm -hmm. And so the $2.5 billion that we'll be giving out to uh, 11 million different Canadians um, as part of this enhanced GST rebate program uh, called the grocery rebate, my concern is that perhaps it could actually make uh, food inflation a worse problem, unfortunately. And so we've seen many provinces do that. And now it's up. It's, it's now uh, Ottawa's turn to, to do the same. And will it make it worse because uh, I'm not sure if the green inflation part of it comes into effect. But if grocery stores are now getting more revenue because people have this extra money to spend, do they continue to raise prices? Is that, is that how it's working? 
Well, uh, I think you you and I we spoke about greedflation in the past, and we we didn't we don't see any evidence of abuse or profiteering in Canada. However, uh, the one concern that we've always had was competitiveness. Uh, we don't think that the landscape in Canada is competitive enough com- competitive enough to help Canadians. Uh, we do need. We do need a discount grocer in Canada, and uh, and yesterday when you read the budget, there, there was no, there was well, there were some mentions about interprovincial barriers and and how do we make Canada a more competitive place uh, with less taxes. Uh, but I, I didn't see anything in that budget that would actually entice companies like Little or Aldi that are already in the U.S. Uh, that would actually consider Canada as a great place to invest, unfortunately. We have a couple more minutes with the food professor, Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, professor of food distribution and policy and the director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. There were three main focuses of the budget, certainly cost of living relief, uh, health care, a big priority item, as it always is. And the other one is the transition to a cleaner economy. Uh, we know that the carbon tax is increasing on Saturday. Will higher carbon taxes going forward impact food affordability? We actually don't know for sure. Uh, So on Saturday, the carbon tax is going up to $65 a metric ton, uh, which would make our carbon tax the seventh highest in the world. And so it was reassuring to see the budget look at clean tech. And obviously, uh, a lot of that money will go to food manufacturing and the food industry. But we still don't know for sure how the carbon tax um, is going to impact food affordability over time. Uh, By 2030, the carbon tax would be uh, set at $170 a metric ton. That's more than double what it is now. And so, and we still don't know for sure how it impacts our food industry. And of course, we import for about $30 billion worth of food from the U.S. Uh, there is no carbon tax in the U.S. So is it making food in the U.S. more competitive compared to the food that we manufacture in Canada? I certainly would, would ask the question. And I think it's time to really measure the impact of the carbon tax. And we haven't done that. Yeah, that's definitely got to be done. Dr. Charlebaugh, we'll have to leave it there. Appreciate your time this morning. My pleasure. Take care. That is Dr. Sylvain Charlebaugh, Professor of Food Distribution and Policy and the Director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We're ensuring that we can continue to invest in Canadians and in the Canadian economy for years to come, just as we have done since 2015. Because we know that investments in Canadians are also investments in our economy. Finance Minister Krista Freeland delivering her budget yesterday. Did it hit the mark? Did it miss the mark for Canadians looking for some relief? Paul Anatyek is a Vice President and Licensed Insolvency Trustee at BDO Debt Solutions and joins us here on Good Morning Hamilton. Paul, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Rick. It's sunny out, and you know what? It's uh, the day with the new budget out, so you know what? At least it's sunny. That's a good part. There is a lot of bad parts in this country. We know we have high inflation, higher interest rates, thanks to the Bank of Canada. We're also seeing uh, increases in insolvency filings in um, our part of the world in in February. Uh, Does this budget do anything to help that? Well, you know what? 
as with every budget, there's good and there's also bad. But the good thing about this budget, it, it was helping Canadians right off the bat. And where it is helping Canadians is we're seeing that one-time increase to, you know, the GST. So that one-time payment is going to be coming out. Now, the benefit of it being with the GST is the GST is really there, the rebate for low-income Canadians, Canadians that are making under a certain threshold. So the money is going to be going to them. But there's one thing I need to caution with those individuals is in order to get the funds, you have to file your taxes. And again, it is tax season, so you need to get those taxes in if you want to enjoy any of the funds coming from the budget. So in regards to these insolvencies, and again, we're seeing more and more of these individuals or even companies filing for insolvency, bankruptcy, whatever the case is, consumer proposal, are we going to continue to see these numbers go up? Well, I think we're going to continue in, in the short term, definitely. And according to the Office of Superintendent of Bankruptcy, the percentage of consumers seeking debt relief. Now, debt relief is the consumer proposals and bankruptcies surge just past February, increasing nearly 25%. You know, it's a huge spike. Uh, the biggest spike in filings was in consumer proposals, which was up 31% nationally uh, in February compared to the same month last year. Now, it's concerning because we are seeing double digit increases and this seems to be the trend you know it's month after month the osb has been releasing this you know as i said for the short term this is going to be continuing and you know what it is to be expected and people forget before COVID. You know, it's it's interesting because now we're talking about, you remember before COVID. Well, right before COVID, Rick, you and I were talking about how insolvency rates were increasing. There was already the system was starting to burst at that point. And the reason being is because there was a lot of credit out there. A lot of credit people are taking advantage of. We remember it you know, people are getting lines of credit for home improvements. Well, now that the interest rates have come up, people are having to pay more back in interest. And you know what? We're seeing people get to the breaking point, and that's where we're seeing the insolvency rates going up. We only got about a minute. There was a line item in the budget that Ms. Freeland mentioned about predatory lending and closing a loophole. So what should we expect? Well, this is probably one of the best parts of the budget. I, I personally agree. Now, the new rules that are going to be pertaining to payday loans is definitely welcoming news. It's reducing the charge per $100 borrowed to $14, um, which is going to help a little bit. But the big part is it's capping the maximum annual interest rate on these loans to 35%, similar to what Quebec is doing right now. So it is a step in the right direction. Given that here in Ontario, these loans can hit more than 300%. However, stiffer regulations are needed. Here in Hamilton, we've really been on the forefront. And really what we did is we are one of the first uh, cities that licensed payday loans. And what we saw was by licensing these stores, we actually saw the number of stores reduced. So, you know what? The budget was welcome this way, but there's more work to do. You can get more information online at bdodebt.ca or call Paul's local office today at 905-524-1008. If you are struggling to make ends meet, Paul and his team can certainly help you in that regard. Paul, thanks for the time this morning. Thanks, Rick. Have a good day. You too. Paul Anachek, Vice President and Licensed Insolvency Trustee at BDO Debt Solutions. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We've been trying to connect with the woman that we had on the show yesterday, uh, Tanya Walsh, a Hamilton woman who had a wedding dress. It was accidentally donated by her dad. Yeah, if you can believe it. Come on, dad. <laughs> who puts a wedding dress 
into a pile of clothes and stuff to be donated. I, I guess dads do. I mean, I, I would not be shocked if I did that one day. Oh, what's this? I don't know, it's just another dress. All right, let's add it to the pile. We're decluttering. Let's get rid of this thing. This is just a, a part of the stuff that's supposed to go, right? No one here to question it? Okay, let's do it. Uh, Tanya Walsh joined us yesterday. And then, and then we had the power outage at the radio station, so we could not get the end to her story. And it's a pretty cool ending. So the wedding dress was donated accidentally by my father in late November of 2022. So November 2022, this dress is gone, right? Like he's put it in a box. It's it's out to, you know, the local thrift shop or Pondo, wherever they donated to. And so I wanted to bring Tanya back on just because we didn't get to the end of her story. But, you know, I don't think we're going to make the connection uh, here today. But we learned that, you know, they were decluttering. Dad gives the dress away. The dress was extremely special to Tanya because she was getting married. She didn't want to wear a traditional wedding dress, but she thought, listen, my mom is not well. She, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor her and wear this dress. And so she did. It was a great ceremony. It was a small one. and It was very special. And so the dress is donated. So she hops onto social media because, you know, that's what everyone does in this case. You lose something special. What's the first thing you do? Well, you call family and friends. Hey, have you seen it? Do you know where it is? No. All right. Let's go to Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. And you know, the list goes on and on and say, hey, someone out there, have you seen this? And if, if so, give me a call. She throws up a Hail Mary on social media to find the dress. And it is found at a Bowmanville thrift shop, St. Vincent de Paul Value Store in Bowmanville, where an individual goes into the basement in the storage area and tucked away is her dress. And so Tanya gets a call to say, yeah, we have your dress here. Is that not the most phenomenal ending to the story? I mean, all hope is pretty much lost. And you get a call out of the blue to say, yeah, well, I saw your social media thing and we have your dress here. Come and pick it up. And so that's what she did. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.